right, guys, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Galatians chapter 5, or if you want to read along on the screen, or an app, whatever you desire. Uh, today, we're just continuing our series, coming close to an end on the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this, as we say each week, is oftentimes we'll talk about discipleship, disciple-making, and we, we think often in terms of just certain practices which are important, but if we're not careful, we'll lose track of what the actual end goal is. And the end goal of discipleship is not to have people just mainly enlisted in duties. It's to become a certain type of person. It's to become like Jesus. And I think the fruit of the Spirit give us a picture of kind of what that end goal is. So that we can ask ourselves, am I living as a disciple of Jesus? If I'm making a disciple, how can I tell in someone I'm investing in that they're actually growing as a disciple? Well, what is a healthy metric, a healthy vision of what that looks like? And I think God's Word gives us that in the fruit of the Spirit. So we come today to gentleness. And as we do each week, we're going to read, read this in context and try to set our, our understanding and even message on it today within that larger context. So Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. should be underlined this time. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we ask you today that you would help us to see what we need to see. We pray, Holy Spirit, for that, that type of work to happen. We pray what is not true would, would be unseen and, and, and would not fall into our hearts, but what is true, that you would root it in us so that we not merely have a new intellectual understanding, but a development of a character that represents the kingdom and our King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, I'm kind of a little nervous to ask us to, to respond out loud to this question, but I may a little bit, because I think gentleness may be more controversial than we think of. When you think about controversial issues, you probably don't think, the topic of gentleness. But think about this. If you were choosing someone to be the CEO, the chief executive officer of a large business that needs to get things done, would you say an essential quality is gentleness? If you were to think of what it means to be a good parent who has obedient children. Would you think 
think what we need here is gentleness. <laughs> if you were to be, think of a police officer, <laughs> and you were to think, what do we need somebody who can restrain and keep order in a city? Would you think gentleness? What if it was someone to be the president of a country? Would you think, I think a leading and essential characteristic would be a person who is known for their gentleness. If it were to be a general leading an army into war, would you think an essential quality, the list of the kind of person that we want this person to be includes as an indispensable quality, gentleness. Now we can think out loud here, but I'm not, I'm not going to force this down deep into the nuance that gentleness actually would lead us to. But for any percep perception of a no that you would get out there in the world, that no, that does not have to be on the list, does not need to be on the list, why do you think there would be some who would say no to, that que to those questions? Gentleness is often confused with weakness. Yes. What else? Yeah, so if you want to get things done, right, this is, could be very counterproductive. Yeah, it feels like it doesn't command respect. So in our culture, a lot of times we think, yeah, we kind of like the gentle person, but like, do we, do we really respect them? Yeah, a gentle person's often taken advantage of. I think we could go on and on, but it's very clear that when we hear the word gentle, even if we think it's a good thing, and nobody disagrees that it's a good thing, but do we think this is, when we think of gentleness, we often don't think of greatness. We often don't think of actually true good power. We often don't think of victory. But the gospel... The gospel of the kingdom of Jesus, as it, as it does in every way, turns everything in our world, as it were, on its head. And it tells us that gentleness is anything but finding ourselves to be doormats that are under the foot of those who really win. Who did God choose to lead in the story of Israel in its most epic victory that they always look back to? Who was it? It was David and it was Moses. And in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, it tells us this. Now the man Moses was very meek. Synonym here for gentle. Often in, in some of your older translations, it's going to read meekness. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Moses is underlined here to be the meekest man on the face of the earth who led what could arguably be one of the most stubborn people in the face of the earth into the enjoyment of the promises and the purposes of God. A man who killed a man, was driven out into this 40-year exile, and was then called by God to lead this nation into redemption. They would often resist him. He would often be doubted in terms of his leadership skills. He would be imperfect. Some of that old self would come out. He would overreact in anger. And yet what is underlined is that it was his ability to be gentle that led in this great redemptive story of God. 
And ultimately, it is the gentleness of the kingdom of Jesus that we hear these words, blessed are the meek, the same word, the original language, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. And we just have to realize that we live in a world and a culture that that would often, in the most honest of moments, gain the most epic of eye rolls. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to cultivate a gentleness as an essential quality of the victory of the kingdom of God. So let's think about these blockades. So each week we set this, these looks at these verses and these fruits within its context. And in verses 16 through 22, we see that there's a war against the kingdom that's going on. Not just a war out in the broader culture, but a war in each of our hearts. That the Bible talks about this flesh, this sort of remaining presence of sin that although does not define us anymore, continues to, to coexist in our orbits of existence. We see the flesh wars against the spirit to keep us from doing what we want to do. So all of us in here may say, yes, I want to be that kind of leader who, who is gentle but is not a doormat, who is meek but yet leads people and leads self, leads in my family, leads in my workplace, leads in my sphere of relationships into the victory of the kingdom of Christ. But there's a logic in the world. There are principles in this world that are pulling us against that. And one is, is that if we are gentle, our enemies won't cooperate. And when we feel that, we think gentleness would work if we lived in a world and in a system where everyone was playing by the same rules, but that is not how the world works. Gentle people get eaten for lunch. And yet, if we're honest and we can look behind the scenes of, of this, this matrix that we're being called to accept, is oddly enough is that when we live in the, in the path that resists gentleness, the gap actually broadens for people. We also hear word voices like this, whether in our heads or even in the water that we drink, that there's no time for gentleness with the urgency of issues that we face. It's just too urgent to be gentle. Somebody's got to come in here and shake things up and make things happen. There's no time for listening. There's no time for learning. And yet, oddly enough, the, the, the flesh produces in there not a closer togetherness, but the dividing gap that intensifies the division. Some have mentioned this already, but there can't be leadership with gentleness. We need to get things done. Who cares about character? Character was a luxury of a fantasy world. Also, when we think of things like masculinity in our culture, often we are told in one way or another that to be truly masculine, to be truly manly, means that you can't truly be gentle. And we have to see this, that often in our culture, young boys, as they grow up, if they have an air of gentleness about them, can actually be mocked, can be called sissies. And this creates within it this confusion of these categories, really a lot of the, the confusion that comes to when we think of even what it means to be male and female in many ways, is we want to, to create stereotypes that God did not put in place for what it means to be people. If I'm gentle, 
Am I supposed to think I'm not truly a man? If I'm a female whose personality just seems to naturally be more brash, not gentle, not quiet, am I therefore not truly woman? The flesh takes these issues and seeks to confuse us at the core. And some even go to say that the Bible would lead us to a faithful prophetic stance that is one of satire and mocking all the time. There are men who have written books justifying the ridicule of others in the name of Christ. And there are many others who haven't written books, but they've lived within this mindset. We can certainly find examples within the Bible where the prophets of God would mock those who would stand in opposition to God's truth and God's word. But what we are tempted to do today is to use these, these very, very rare prophetic instances of mocking, of ridicule, because sometimes you do have to kind of paint a picture that's goofy to see people see the truth. But the fruit of the Spirit is to be the normative path of what our life looks like. But even in some Christian circles, we would, be led, we would be led to believe that it's normative to be ridiculing, mocking, snarky, sarcastic, and cynical, and then seek to justify it through some random examples that we see in the Scripture where that was used in very particular ways. Daniel found uh, my, our boys' football in here earlier, so y'all know I'm not an object lesson person. But uh, if I wanted to be mean right now, I'd just sling it at Cody as hard as I could. Because when I was thinking about gentleness, I, I was thinking about how certain times, Elisha will tell you this, we will literally be standing this close together. And for some reason in his head, he thinks it appropriate to just rear back and throw the football as hard as he can. And it just like drills you in the gut. And you're thinking like, okay, right now what, what am I tempted to do? I'm, I'm not as mature as y'all are. I'm tempted to take the football up and to say, you think you can throw it that hard that fast? And just like drill him back. And just get like, we'll, we'll just do this. And, and who knows, probably in my flesh I've done something like that before. And some, some responses could be given to me with my breath knocked out and in my anger is, dude, you should have been ready. You know, this is football. Toughen up. You can't be gentle sport like this. And then, and then I started to think that what if, what if even in a sport unknown for its gentleness like football, that if we were to actually consider it as it may be the people who are the most gentle in that sport who actually have the most success. And this is where I want to, we're going to start changing our paradigm here. Is, is it not the quarterback who not only can just throw it on a rope, but can just lay it in there? Who can precisely put it in the position to where the person catching the ball can actually have the most potential for success. Isn't it when we can see these large creatures that I can't even imagine what it would be like to actually be, that they can harness all of that strength and all of that power 
to actually be moved in intentional directions that achieve a particular goal. I believe it was the 85 Chicago Bears, one of my favorite teams, and I could be wrong, it could be another team, so sports fans, feel free to rebuke me afterwards. But some team in the history of sports, I remember they were all required to go and take ballet. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Drew. Why? It was because there was this, this understanding that we're, you're only going to be as good with all of that power to the extent that you can control it in a very gentle and beautiful way. But the world tells us is we just got to run wild. It's how we protect ourselves. It's the only way I'm going to get people to listen, right? I don't want to talk to you this way, but it's the only way I can get you to listen. Put that in your tips of not good parenting skills from me. Gentle doesn't work. Sometimes you just got to mock people to get the point across. There's no middle ground. I mean, imagine the absurdity of talk radio. Imagine if somebody said, listen, let's start a talk radio show where we're really gentle. That thing's going to be out of business fast. Because we, we feed off of this stuff. And we have a culture and leaders who don't value gentleness because we're a people who don't really value it often, but we just feel stuck with it. We want leaders who don't have to play by the rules of the kingdom because deep down we think that doesn't work. And we think the ends justify the means. And so someone said this when I was studying this this week. Have you ever watched a movie where someone is not gentle and you secretly regretted being a follower of Jesus? I wish I could just tell people off. I wish I could just let it go crazy on somebody. Wouldn't that feel good? But you know I'm a follower of Jesus. Bless. So we got to think of gentleness as bigger than the doormat, the weakness, the taking advantage of. So as I think as we look through the scriptures here, and we think of what gentleness looks like. We, we think of each week what it doesn't look like to live these fruits. And one is it's not an elimination of passion. It's not an elimination even of assertiveness. Jesus, the greater Moses, the one more meek, well, if anything, was not controlled by the whims of the people around him. He knew who he was, he knew what was true, and he was willing to stand for that even if it increased the conflict in his life. Whether that was in the temple, seeking to protect people who weren't having access to the truths of the kingdom, or whether that was, was with his right hand disciple Peter whom he had to look at and say, get behind me, Satan. It's not the elimination of protection. Some people say gentle people can't protect other people. But we see Jesus when this woman is caught in adultery. Able to diffuse that situation in such a powerful way that protected her from being stoned to death by these hypocritical leaders. What a vision of power. And then it's not the elimination of truth because then he looks at this, this woman whom he has saved and he tells her to go and sin no more. 
It's not a false humility or a self-deprecation. It is Jesus who on His way to the cross is asked who He is and He boldly says, I am. I am. Many people from the old Strong's Concordance to other biblical dictionaries and have said this about gentleness, and many of you are familiar with this, is gentleness is not weakness, but it is power or strength under control. I just want to extend that sentence a little bit. It's power and strength under control, not for the sake of self, but for the glory of God and the good of others. The meek or the general, gen, gentle are those who have the power of their human personality harnessed and humble by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why all of this is about keeping in step with the Spirit. Living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is now you, you've been harnessed. You've been, you're controlled now. You're living under the influence now of a person who inhabits and indwells you and takes all of that power and wields it in the right direction of the kingdom. Gentleness is graciousness in tone then. It's not harsh. It's not cynical. It's not sarcastic. It's not mocking. And it's not these things when you have the power to tear other people down. You can be the, the most uh, weakest person in the room when it comes to going to a, a weightlifting facility. But you have power to tear people down. Everyone in this room has power. And you can wield that power in ways that tear people down. And if we were honest and had time, all of us in here know that. You know what you've got, and you know how you can use it. But if Jesus had said, a bruised reed he would not break, nor a smoldering wick would he quench. And what is so awesome about Jesus is all the sinners and all the outcasts and the unbelievers knew that. And that's why when you see Jesus walking, they're all there. It's like this is a guy who doesn't compromise truth and holiness, but he's not wielding that as a hammer to beat us down with. It's Jesus, the wisdom of God, who's living out Proverbs 15.4 that says a gentle tongue is a tree of life. But we know the Bible says elsewhere in the book of James that the tongue is very powerful. Our tongues are powerful. Our speech is powerful. They can destroy people. But a gentle person is a person who has submitted the power of their speech to the direction of the Holy Spirit. It's not just I begin to think before I talk. It's I, I begin to live in step with the Spirit in my conversations so that it becomes that the flinch that I have, the flinch that I have is not to tear others down when I have the power to do so, but to actually build them up. It's not just graciousness in tone, though, but it's, it's touch. It's not being heavy-handed. Sometimes we actually have physical power 
to, to hurt people. We have physical power, maybe not even to lay our hands on people, but to bring a, a, a physical presence and force to an environment. Gentle people submit that potential power to the Spirit. It's Jesus who said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle. It's Jesus being the one who fulfills the law of God, as we see in Deuteronomy 32. My teaching is, may my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as dew like gentle rain. Rain is powerful. Rain could destroy all of us today. But it can also be beautiful. In 1 Timothy 3.3, it's why it's to be a mark of leadership within a church. It says, not violent, but gentle. Leaders have authority. Most of you in here would know me as more of a mild-mannered person. I'm not very assertive to my, oftentimes it's a weakness, I'm not very aggressive. But I could hurt all of you. I have a power to shame you. I have a power that I could guilt you with. I have a, a measure of of spiritual authority that I could intimidate you with and cause great confusion in your life if I feel like you're messing with me. And that, that scares me. And you have power to do that. And the people you live with, the people you work with, people you live in missional community live in fight club with we have these powers that we don't realize have to be submitted to the spirit not so that it's really the issue is it so much that we're ran over is because we're also running over each other it's why this is no small issue in the new testament and i don't have time to read all these verses but there's many here's just some galatians 6 1 tells us that when we go to restore someone who has fallen in sin, it explicitly says, do that in a spirit of gentleness. In 2 Timothy 2.24, when it's talking about false teachers, or false even people who are living in false ways to the kingdom, within the kingdom of God and within God's church, it says, make sure you correct your opponents with gentleness. It's not this attitude of, there's just too much truth at stake. No, he says, correct your opponents with gentleness. In Titus 3, 1 and 2, we're told to always relate with one another in gentleness. In 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, when it's talking about always be ready to give a defense for the faith that is in you, when we do apologetics and we defend the faith, it says, but do so in gentleness. Not giving your opponents an excuse to not hear what you're saying because of your tone and your touch. 
In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, that we to counsel people in Genesis. In 1 Timothy 6, 11, that leaders are to always be pursuing and growing in gentleness. That in 1 Peter 3, 4, that we're to see beauty, not in terms of an outward appearance, but in terms of gentleness. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1, in this crazy messed up church of Corinth, where everything is going wild. It's like church Christians going wild. Paul says, we appeal to you by the gentleness of Jesus. It's, it's like me and the floor wrestling with my boys, which they like to do more than I do and want to do more often. And, and again, they, so not to pick on them this morning, but we've talked all this through about being pastor's kids, is, is sometimes they really hurt me. You really do, right? That knee to the kidney, right? Or that surprise off the couch and your head gets banged. And I'm just thinking sometimes, I'm going to kill you. And I could. I could do it. I could just say, I'm going to make you feel this pain. But I, but I love them. And thankfully, in my more saner moments, I don't pick them up and throw them against the wall. And in my more saner moments, as I think back of my father, not perfect in every way, trust me, and me either, is when we would wrestle in the floor as kids. Wrestle, good cultural connection, wrestle as kids. Uh, it's, it's, it's just reflecting back, he could have did that to me. But some of my most beautiful memories of childhood is, is remembering my dad having his power under control. And how much that made me feel close to him. And how much that really made me trust him. And I asked some of you to send me some things this week and don't have time to read them, but I think we all in here have these stories of where people had real strength and real power and they actually... Harness that to love us well. They didn't compromise. They didn't just cut us off and say, yeah, yeah, it'll be okay. But they leveraged their strength and their power to love us. So we need to ask ourselves that this morning. But not just this morning as you go out today. It's like, how am I doing that? Some of you in here no likely have the ability to give a mean, cold shoulder to somebody. You may look like little miss or little Mr. Meek and Mild. That, that, is, that is the opposite of being gentle. That's you saying, I might not can do, I might not have power to do other things. I got the power to do that. I'm going to wield this power now for my own self-protection or for punishment. Some of us can be gentle upwards. We can be gentle to people who we feel like are above us or could help promote us or take us forward. But when other people come into our life that we know are kind of in our sad and twisted and distorted, jacked up minds, more discardable, more unimportant, they really have nothing to offer. It's like we can be really dismissive of them. We can be really kind of harsh, putting off, no time for that. 
I just want us all today to really consider where you need to know where your power lies. We all have it. Some of you in here, it's your intellect. Some of you in here, it's your role or responsibility. Some of you in here, it may be your body. Some of you in here, it could be your wealth or your finances. Or a whole host of other things. Are you harnessing that power and step with the Spirit for the glory of God and the good of others? Now, how do we do that? Well, just thank goodness uh, you guys, we've been learning to do this. We can be a little quicker. We're only going to do this if when we think of God, gentleness is one of the things that comes to mind. God could just crush us all right now. He could just—he could just be the bigger Thanos, right? And, and here we all go. My wife learned what that meant yesterday, even though she's watched the movies. But anyway, so if you don't know, you can ask her afterwards. He snaps his fingers, and half of the population disappears. God could do that. He could do that in ways that were holy and just. But instead, when we read through the scriptures, we find a God who's described as a shepherd gently leading his people. We hear these words in Job, are the comforts of God too small for you, or the word that deals gently with you. And certainly in a longer conversation, we could talk about all of the judgments of God, and we could talk about all the other characteristics of God that are, that are all true together, not in parts, but as a, as, a, as a simple whole that is beautiful. But however you shake it, gentleness is a key quality of who God is. And that's why when we see God in this coming to this world, incarnated, becoming in the flesh, that Jesus, the express image of God, is known by His gentleness in terms of His mission that that statement that he is a, will not break a bruised reed or, or quench a smoldering wick is not something just pulled out of the air, but is taken from the prophet Isaiah of the hope of a king who will come, a better Moses and a better David who will bring deliverance to his people and bring redemption to the world. But it will be not because he rides in on a horse cutting off heads and telling everybody to get in their place, but because he was gentle. He chose disciples that required gentleness. And he led them with such strength under control. How many times as we read through the Gospels would we not think, let's replace these guys. And he continues to just love them and lead them. We see him going to a cross and, the, and, and Jesus says, I could call a legion, I could call this great troop of a host of heavenly angels to come down right now and wipe all of you people out. And yet he hangs there saying, Father, forgive them. We see him resurrected. The King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet he sits by this seaside meal with Peter who had denied him three times 
And instead of saying, Peter, three strikes are out, buddy. He says, feed my sheep. And we see one day that our king will return. And we will not have a great resume ready to say, here's why I deserve to walk in here and rule and reign with you forever. And yet he's going to say, we like to talk about Jesus saying to some people, I never knew you. But guess what? There's also the other side of that. He's going to look at us who rested in his perfect work on our behalf, and he's going to say, well, we've got, we got this resume that doesn't look so good. He's going to say, I know you. I love you. Get in here. Gentleness is what brings victory. It's why the psalmist says in Psalm 1835, You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has supported me, and your gentleness has made me great. What, what a verse that surprised me this week. A king, the great King David. What made me great? It was your gentleness. If you want to have real success in this world, if you want to really get kingdom things done, then we'll all just continue this journey of learning what it means to lead and love and live in gentleness. We're like wild horses. And Jesus is, through his spirit, the horse whisperer. Some of you don't know what that is. Wild horses. Is it Robert Redford? Right? You don't get these horses to do what you want them to do. You don't get them to grow. You don't get them to wield that power by coming up and kicking them and tearing them down. You learn how to calm things. You learn the power of a whisper. But you can only give what you've received. If the voice you hear in, in your head is the voice of a God who's tearing you down, that's, that's the voice of the enemy. And how can you do this? You've, you've got to receive that again and again. The gospel can't be theory. The gospel can't be intellect. The gospel has to be the good news of the kingdom of God that has invaded your life through the Holy Spirit and that now is speaking daily into your existence. To do that, you've got to be willing to give away some of this power. And what that looks like is you may just need, you need to find a trusted friend. You need to ask this question. You need to get ready. Is how are you experiencing me? And then you need to know, as we've said, where is my, what is my power that I have? And I need to, how are you experiencing the use of my power? You need to practice this. Some of you in here might need to practice a sarcasm fast. That would be hard for me. But you might just say, just for a month or whatever, I'm going to see if I can fast from sarcasm. I'm going to see if I can fast from cynicism. And I'm going to ask people to help me, whether that be in, in my fight club, my missional community. And now I'm going to have the eyes of the kingdom on, and I'm going to start to find areas and people where I can celebrate gentleness.
John Wooden is one of the greatest basketball coaches in the history of the world. Some would say the greatest. He won 10 NCAA championships in 12 years. I don't know if that'll ever be repeated. And he won seven in a row. And from the years 1971 to 1974, he won 88 games in a row. And you want to know what he was known for in an era where it was cool to throw chairs and kick players and bang their heads on the ground? His gentleness. Often the quote's attributed to him, but he evidently got it from some person's name I can't pronounce. And this is the quote. There's nothing stronger than gentleness. To have all of this power and influence, and instead of wielding it for my own safety or my own self-glory, I harness it to bring the best out of other people. Now, I'm not saying that you can't win in the world by not being gentle. We see lots of people who are so-called winners. But that will all be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble in the end. That Jesus is inviting us into the victory he has brought and will last forever. If we walk in the way of gentleness. Father, thank you for the good news. The victory of your kingdom, though it stands in contrast to the way of the world. Father, we confess that uh, we've only cracked the door open on the conversation of what it means to be gentle and to fully embrace the fullness of all these fruits and, and the ways of God. But we ask you that you would help us to do so for your glory and the good of our city and the health of our own souls. In Jesus' name.